Welcome back to season 11, episode 11 of the Digital Orthopedics Podcast, where we bring you the extraordinary lectures from the DocSF Experience 2023. My name is Dr. Stefan Obini, and I will be your host for the podcast. In this next episode, we're very fortunate to have an extraordinary panel of experts talk to us about the world of the ASC and have Michael Ast, MD, CIO at HSS, lots of letters there, Hospital for Special Surgery, take us through their paces. The concept here is to get a good understanding of the trends are in the ASC, in the United States in particular, as we go into the rest of the day, which is focused entirely on digital transformation of outpatient surgery. So please join me as we welcome Dr. Ast and his panel to the DocSF stage. Thanks so much. What we're going to do is we're going to bring up a panel of experts and we're just going to talk about the world of orthopedic healthcare today. So as Stefano alluded to earlier, the biggest thing happening in the world of orthopedics is this transition, this shift from inpatient surgery to outpatient surgery. So what does that mean? That means that when I was in training 15 years ago, patients came in for their surgeries to our big multi-specialty hospital, right? We had cardiology and urology and orthopedics in it, and they got a hip or a knee replacement and they stayed there for three or four or five days. And then they went to a rehab center for another two or three weeks. And this was the path. This was the only way it happened. And this was true for our shoulder replacements, for our spine surgeries, for our hip and knee replacements, and even for our ACL reconstructions. Today, so I flew here yesterday from New York. Right before I left, I did three hip and knee replacements in the morning because I had to make it to the airport on time. And by the time I got on the plane, every single one of those patients was home. They were on their couch. They were resting. Hopefully they were icing their knee like I told them to do. But that's the world. The world is what used to take a month of recovery, we do in four hours. And what used to occur in these big, giant, brick-and-mortar hospitals is now happening in much more affordable, much more value-driven sites of service, the most common of which is the ambulatory surgery center. So to talk a little bit about what that means and how that's affected our world, and not just how our patients are affected, but how our operations are affected, how our surgeries have changed, and how the way we look at the places where we work have changed. I'm going to bring up two separate panels. So the first panel, we're going to talk about the clinical side. So how has this changed what we do from the clinical perspective? We've got some clinical experts here that are going to join us in a second. And then the second panel is going to focus on the operational side. And both of them are going to try to just set the stage for what we're going to hear for the rest of today, which are what are some of the solutions out there to the challenges we now face because of this shift from inpatient outpatient surgery. So if my first panel wouldn't mind joining me, I'll sort of introduce them as they come on their way up. First, we're going to have Laith Farjo. Laith is an orthopedic surgeon and also an owner of an ambulatory surgery center and an independent private practice. And so we'll bring us the perspective of exactly what it's like to own one of these centers and see how they work. Next is Debbie Gee. Debbie is the executive director of the orthopedic service line and the ambulatory surgery centers at UCSF, so hometown hero. And finally is Dr. John J.P. Warner. So if you don't know who Dr. Warner is, it just means maybe you don't spend a lot of time in the world of orthopedics because everyone who does what I do knows exactly who Dr. Warner is. He is a professor at Harvard Medical School, a world-famous orthopedic surgeon, and also, some might not know, a serial entrepreneur and a person who really understands what it takes to take an idea from concept to fruition. So thank you all for joining me. We really appreciate it. And so what we're going to try to cover here today with all of you is the idea of the world has changed a little, and, and certainly since we have started in our practices or in our careers, it looks very different. So, Leith, we'll start with you. What are the two or three most common cases you're seeing, right? You own an ASC. What are you seeing come to your ASC that wasn't there five or 10 years ago? So the big thing is what you do, a joint replacement. So that everything now is shifting from the hospital. So I trained a little before you. I trained 30 years ago. And people would be admitted for a day before to get their testing. And then they would stay for two weeks. 
So knee replacement, hip replacement, shoulder replacement, those are the big things. And spine surgery is also moving to our center as well. And Debbie, you're watching this happen in, in the local ASCs. Are you seeing a similar shift? Are those the kind of cases coming? What's happening to the cases that were already there? Are they moving too, or are you just getting busier? We're just getting busier. But <laughs> definitely those are the same types of cases that we're starting to see in the outpatient arena. And JP, you work at sort of the mecca of education, healthcare, everything in the world, right? The Harvard system, whether it's Harvard Business Review that apparently Stefano reads more than he reads JBGS, which probably shouldn't say in this crowd, but you know, whatever. Or it's in medicine, right? Harvard's always led the world. So when you see these cases moving, how is Harvard dealing with that? What do they think? Are they seeing the same shift? Are they controlling that shift? Are they trying to pull it back? So I think it's fair to say that I work in one of the most complex organizations you can imagine, and there are lots of moving parts and different layers. Fortunately, our ASC started when it was a little more simple, and we created a culture that endured above all of the complexity that followed. So in reality, as most academic medical centers are, we were a late adopter for ASCs. 16 years ago, we started a small ASC that was so successful from a financial point of view that it took them about that long, 16 years, to create another one. And along the way, the role of the physician has been affected greatly versus the people in the administrative office, which makes us quite different from what probably is being discussed here. So I want everybody to remember that that things happen in context of the perspective of where you happen to be and the environment in which you live. And so I'm going to guess that the three of us here have completely different environments in which to work. And so when you ask me about the organization, you know, it becomes a question of push or pull. And it's problematic for many things that we know can improve our profitability. And in those ASCs, so now you say in those 32 years, you've got two of them. Are they similar? Do they run the same way clinically? Are there, do they do a little bit of everything? Is there ENT being done in the same center? Is it all orthopedics? So they're actually of different cultures. The first ASC that we created, we specifically created, orthopedics did, because four physicians who are founders, I'm one of those, the last one remaining, believed there was a better way to do things than what we had in the hospital. We said, we're going to leave. And they said, don't do that. We'll build it for you. That is the, you know, on honey for the fly. And unfortunately, that led to all sorts of issues. But our performance was tremendous. And I, when I went to HBS, I analyzed the financial performance with KPIs relative to the hospital. Even with that kind of ROI, they were very late to scale this. And by the time they did, the regulatory environment changed and their strategy changed. So not only were the facility fees lowered because of what's happening in Massachusetts, but rather than building a specialty center, which we had already, which was an orthopedic specialty center, they created a multi-specialty center. And I'm sure you can figure out how that works from the standpoint of winners and losers in terms of the services being provided there. So it's not just orthopedics that's happening in the new center, which is twice the size of the old one, but it's other things, you name it, like invasive radiology or straightforward general surgery, things of that nature. So Debbie, is it similar at, at the UCSF centers? Are they all orthopedics? They do a little bit of everything? So at UCSF, we now have two ambulatory surgery centers. The original one opened 13 years ago at the Orthopedic Institute, which was the vision of Dr. Vales. So that has been operating very well for many years. A year ago, we opened up a second surgery center, which is everything but orthopedics. And it's very interesting, though, because, you know, the two, they're separate in terms of what they do, but their outcomes are very similar. So turnover time is very similar. Patient satisfaction is very similar because every month when I look at the metrics, it's like, oh my gosh, they're like mirrored. So it's interesting to see that you can segregate into a very highly specialized orthopedics and then have this other bucket, but yet run them very similar. 
Now, Leith, you told us a few seconds ago that people like me are ruining your centers, right? We're coming in, we're taking over, the joint replacements are ruining everything. What's changed at the center? How does the dynamic of a center, both from a sort of clinical perspective and just sort of the general way you run it, when you bring in these new cases, these shoulder replacements, these hip and knee replacements, these spine surgeries, what changes for you? Basically, the level of complexity for a patient that's coming in. So we've been in operation for about 15 years. We're orthopedic-specific. Being specialty-specific, I think, drives efficiency. But we do a lot of very traditionally outpatient surgeries. So a carpal tunnel release, which is a five-minute surgery. Shoulder arthroscopy, which is a 30-minute surgery. I mean, these are all generally healthy people. There's very little blood loss. As we start to morph and bring in these other more complex cases, we're taking patients who are normally in the hospital. First of all, you have to get surgeons to convince themselves that it's safe to do this, but then you have to select the appropriate patients who can come, and now you're doing a much bigger procedure. So when we do a shoulder replacement, you're dismantling somebody's shoulder, taking it apart through a big incision. There's bleeding, there's a lot more risk, and there's a lot more medical risk afterwards. So. What's changing now in the ASC realm in orthopedics is we're learning how to deal with these more complex patients and more complex cases while still doing it very safely. So that's the goal of safety. Now, Debbie, you run the whole center, right? You don't just deal with the surgeons. There's also other staff there. There's nurses, there's anesthesiologists, there's lots of other people involved in the clinical care of these more complicated cases and patients. How are they handling it? Or how do you help guide some of the clinical world of the day-to-day workflow with these more complicated cases? So first of all, I think we do a really good job of screening these patients and making sure that they're in the right environment. We have a patient selection criteria. It's based upon BMI, comorbidities, et cetera. So we have a PREPARE program, which is the pre-op program, um, which screens these patients to make sure that they are done where they have the support that they need, the clinical support. And we've been pretty successful in the generic outpatient surgery center, we tend to transfer one to two patients per month. At the Orthopedic Institute, we've gone two years without transferring an individual. So I think that pre-screening is really important because there will be times where you have to transfer a patient, but you really don't want to tell a patient, we were doing outpatient surgery and then wind up having to transfer them by ambulance to another facility. And JP, you've been doing kind of surgeon-led care. You said your first surgery center was started by four surgeons that said, we need a center or we're leaving. But that's really changed to now almost all of us are in some way working within these facilities that are starting to do these more complicated cases. However, I imagine the culture of that center is built on surgeon leadership and on we're going to do the right thing because it's the right thing. How do you look at the sort of clinical safety profile that changes in the profile of these patients you're now bringing to your centers? So, of course, it's collaborative, and the culture that we established included individuals in leadership roles from outside the Mass General. Consequently, we were able to create a new culture that was directly juxtaposed to the main hospital. And the key performance indicators were tremendous because everything begins and ends with culture. So we didn't want people bringing baggage with them. We defined what we had. And so those folks are still here working together. And I'm chair for quality and safety, so I also have oversight on what we do there. The one thing I would say is that if you do a large enough volume, there'll be cases that have medical issues, be they arrhythmias or something else. And so you'll always have the need to transfer somebody. It's never going to be zero for long. It's just anticipating these kinds of problems and what's your threshold for allowing these cases to be done. 95% of all the arthroplasties that I do are done in an ASC setting, and that comes in large measure from what anesthesia has done to improve their postoperative pain management. And I do what most of us should do, which is measure everything. And when we look at patient satisfaction, we look at pain patterns, et cetera, we've succeeded in having actually arthroplasty patients have a lot less pain 
than the rotator cuff repair patients, who we were sending home anyway for a long time. So the wind in our sails came with the pandemic, of course, and everything shifted. And while we were a late adopter for, these guys probably been doing this a lot longer for doing those kinds of cases, it moved pretty quickly because every single day I get an announcement that the hospital's on emergency divert. And I work in a general hospital, not like you in a specialty hospital. And so we compete for resources in that organization. And now we're creating value by allowing more capacity by bringing patients to the ASC. And administrators understand that, and that's why they support what we do. And I think it's great. You know, it's amazing that we're sitting here having a clinical conversation about shifts in the world. But what it really all comes back to is culture, right? You know, we say at our institution, culture is strategy. They're not separate. They're not different. They drive each other. So it's just fascinating that you bring that up, too, because I think it's just critically important in any large organization. Now, you do have the large organization, but you have your sort of small place that you're running within that sort of very complicated ecosystem. What's the biggest clinical challenge you've seen when you went from knee scopes and carpal tunnels to shoulder replacements and spine surgery? What's been your biggest clinical challenge? I think the logical thing, there are lots of issues, but the logical thing is inventory management. And I think we'll talk about robotics and all that stuff, but with uh, preoperative planning, which is what I do, I know pretty accurately what implants that I'm going to need there. And so the opportunity to reduce your SKUs and the number of trays and such, increase your efficiency and reduce cost and complexity. So that's been something we've been working on and I know others are working on as well, because you really don't want the same footprint in the ASC that you have in the main hospital. Debbie, how about you, as you've seen these different kind of what, what we sort of term as higher acuity cases, these spines, hip and knees, shoulder arthroplasties, what clinical challenges have you seen? And not just from what the surgeons kind of talk about, but what you hear from your nursing teams, what you hear from the rest of the care providers, what do you see as the kind of the biggest challenge as that shift occurs? I think one of the things kind of tangential is, you know, I think it's really important to Schedule your inpatient cases in the inpatient arena and the outpatient in the outpatient arena. Because I think sometimes people are tempted to do two inpatient cases and we'll add a outpatient case at the end of the day or something like that. And I think a lot of this goes back to your surgery schedulers. I think it's important for them to understand that there is a lot of efficiency and a lot of value to segregating those inpatient and outpatient days. And even if you have a really sharp surgery scheduler and you have two rooms, it's even better if one room is the left side and one is the right side. I mean, there's a lot of efficiencies to be gained with that. So because you're not moving equipment, et cetera. But to me, what we have found the challenge is just having that mix of inpatient, outpatient, and having to pull the outpatient cases from the inpatient arena. Finally, somebody who is agreeing with me, I say it all the time, like I only like to do a day of left knees or a day of right knees or a day of left hips or a day of right hips. It's not that I have anything about left or right. It's you don't have to change where things are in the room. You don't have to move the suction from one side to the other. It makes him go much faster. So I do left knees and left hips or right knees and right hips in my two rooms and my schedulers go crazy about it. But uh, It makes a difference. It makes such a huge difference and it seems so silly. So Leith, you've got a, a, an orthopedic, but everything orthopedic, like you said, you do carpal tunnels. You do. How do you handle the carpal tunnel surgeries when you're trying to do shoulder replacements? And how do you sort of start to balance the higher acuity cases that are now coming in that you're trying to absorb without losing the 
bread and butter of what runs your center? Like, what's the consideration look like for you? So we've been fortunate. We've been doing this for a long time and we have staff that's used to doing this. So we don't rely on the surgical schedulers to make these decisions. We make the decisions. And so, for example, I'll start my day. I might have 15 surgeries in a day, but I'll start off with a little kickoff case like a carpal tunnel while they're getting my shoulder replacement ready for me in the second room. So I usually have two rooms. So there's efficiencies to be gained by knowing what the procedure is, what the equipment needs are for that procedure, what the time constraints are for that procedure, and then having a complex complementary thing on the other side. And, and similarly to you, the right shoulders work better in room two than, you know, left shoulders work better in room five. So we've learned over time how to bounce things back and forth, compress our schedule because one of the big issues in ASCs is labor. And so we don't want to have a room sitting empty without being utilized. We don't want to have staff sitting around for a long time without being utilized. So there's this balancing act between getting everything done safely, but also efficiently. And I think it does go to the idea of why you can drive so much more value in these small facilities in that you can really minimize downtime. Hospitals, big hospitals, sort of have to have downtime. You have to have emergency staff available if something comes in. You have to have the room available for trauma cases. There's a lot you need to do to be prepared for what might happen versus an ambulatory surgery center. The schedule came out yesterday. You know exactly what's going to happen. And minimizing downtime really allows you to drive significant value in these centers, which was a perfect segue. So thank you for that. To talk about the business side of it a little bit. So JP, I don't think anybody's done more work in this than you have, at least from really taking a high level perspective, look at how do these centers really work? Where are you shifting costs and able to work within an organization, but also at the level of the center, what does that look like? So how do you think this shift, this, your shoulder replacements that used to be been done in the main hospital, now being done in the ambulatory surgery center, the same thing for spine and joint replacements. How do you think this is affecting the business models and profitability of these ambulatory surgery centers? Well, one of the things that should be mentioned, in addition to culture and the incentives that you put in place, are the economics of how you measure. And so in our ambulatory center, we have the ability potentially to look at margin per surgeon, margin per case, et cetera. We just finished an analysis of 700 rotator cuff repairs by 24 surgeons and identified that the, from the lowest cost to the highest cost with the codes applied was a factor of 8x. Now, then it becomes a question of what do you use that information for and to what degree you have alignment and partnership with your organization, whether you have a LLC or an employment model or whatever, but gain sharing is the only way that you can improve on the bottom line with that kind of data. We can get that data at our ASC. I also know which specialties are more margin favorable than others based on just RVUs and what they tend to get. And so how you apportion your cases and what you do there affects your overall profitability. In addition to that, the staff are incentivized in, with a different model than the main hospital. I should also add the main hospital uses more cost averaging than specifics. So I can't really compare apples and oranges because that's what we have. But the motivation of our staff is based on not just patient satisfaction and metrics such as turnover time, but surgeon satisfaction, which I've never heard applied before. I mean, I don't know if you guys do that, but that's very important for them. And consequently, that has actually filtered into the system. And when that was applied to a, one of our facilities at North, the graph for productivity went like, like that. So behavioral economics is critically important to the success of these ventures. And most of our major academic medical centers that have multiple specialties don't understand that, in my opinion. That's how we created a different culture that is margin-driven and more financially successful than the main hospital. And I wish, you know, from that video of that school in China, I wish we had one of those facial recognition attention things a second ago, because you said the word data, and I saw Dr. Beanie light up. He was so excited. So we have to get a scanner for him next year. Debbie, what 
data do you use? What data do you make available? What data do you use? Maybe it's on the surgeon satisfaction or on the profitability of the center. And how do you use that data? Again, sort of to JP's point, you can use the data in a lot of different ways and a lot of, especially large mega health systems use it differently. So what data do you have access to and how do you use it? We have access to a lot of data and we actually share it with the staff because we really want the staff to have ownership. They want to know what is happening, how they're performing as a whole in the surgery center. So we look at patient satisfaction, surgeon satisfaction, volume, turnover time, first case on time starts. We share all of that information with them. We celebrate it when we're doing really well because we want them to have the credit. And when we've taken a dip in something and we all huddle and we say, hey, what happened this month, et cetera. So I think data is very powerful and very important. And like I said, we're very transparent with it to the staff. They look at it and really they take ownership. And that's the whole part of the culture. You want them to have the ownership of the surgery center to make sure that it's efficient and running well. Now, Leith, your center is privately owned. You're the boss, the CFO, the banker, the everybody. What are your thoughts on sort of that data and financial transparency? And then sort of a second question to layer on there. How has this shift of higher acuity cases changed the profitability and the business side of your center? So, you know, as a for-profit center, we've had the data that JP was talking about for 15 years. We know exactly how long everybody takes to do a surgery and surgeons don't like being told that they're a little too slow. You know, as a CEO, one of my jobs is to encourage our surgeons to be more efficient. And a lot of that is implant choice. So you can't really make a surgeon faster. You don't want to push somebody outside of their comfort zone, but you can ask them to use implant B as opposed to implant A. And the way we do that is competition. I don't think there's a single orthopedic surgeon I know that's not type A and is not highly competitive. So I'll have our, our annual meeting. I'll throw up a chart. It's not anonymized. Everybody can see everybody else's names and you can see where you sit as far as cost of care. Cost of care, when we can break it down, we can break it down to implants. We can break it down to time-based cost of care because every minute in a, a surgical facility is worth a dollar amount and it's a lot of money. You know, a lot of our facility, it's about $20 a minute is how much that time is worth when you look at all the labor, everything involved in it. And so having surgeons compete against each other for that has been very helpful. And then finally, having staff know how much implants cost is important as well, as Debbie alluded to here, they can help the surgeons out. That's great. Well, I wanna thank you very much for helping us set the stage for today. Thank you for your insights and we really appreciate your time. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Digital Orthopedics Podcast. If you find the talks as incredibly informative and topical as we did, please do share this podcast with your friends and leave us a nice review on your podcast player choice. It'd mean a lot to us if you did. Next up will be the part two of this session on the ASC. 